Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto seven years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the July 19th, 2022 episode of Unchained. Every other Tuesday, Unchained hosts The Chopping Block, where crypto insiders Haseeb Qureshi, Tom Schmidt, Robert Leshner, and Tarun Chitra chop it up about the latest news in the digital asset industry. You can catch the latest episode on YouTube and on all podcast platforms. Harness the full power of the Avalanche Network with Core, your new Web3 command center. Built by Ava Labs, Core is more than just a wallet. It's a non-custodial browser extension engineered for users to seamlessly and securely experience Web3 like never before. Explore Avalanche dApps, NFTs, bridges, subnets, and more today. Oasis Network is one of the fastest growing layer one blockchains designed to support privacy, speed, and scalability in Web3. Learn more and join the community at oasisprotocol.org. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA, link in the description. Today's topic is El Salvador's use of Bitcoin. Here to discuss is Nelson Rauda, journalist at El Faro in El Salvador. Welcome, Nelson. Hi, Lara. Uh, thanks, thank you so much for having me. In the last year, El Salvador made some historic news by becoming the first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. We're going to dive into everything that's happened since then, but first, let's set some context. Listeners of this show may not be familiar with you or your work. So before Bitcoin became part of your coverage, what kind of journalists were you? Well, I've been a journalist since uh, 2013. I've been doing this for nine years. Uh, and I started out my career covering judiciary. Uh, there's always a lot of judiciary things going on in El Salvador. Uh, so I started with the murder beat, covering gang violence, covering police, covering uh, the attorney general's office, Supreme Court, that kind of stuff. And then I transferred to El Faro seven years ago, uh, which is uh, an independent newspaper, smaller newspaper. So you kind of have to to do a jack of all trades uh, kind of thing there. So I started out doing more political things and more things related to immigration and basically focusing on, on human rights violations. And I, I, I was doing a lot of uh, coverage of civil war trials in El Salvador. Um, so the first time I've heard the word Bitcoin, the word crypto was from Mr. Jack Mallers in a Miami conference in 2021. And I, I try to brush it off because I'm used to now by, I'm really used to uh, Mr. Nayib Bukele's antiques by now. It's been three years. Uh, but five days later, I was at the Legislative Assembly watching a, a midnight session as the Bitcoin law was rushed and approved. So it was a really uh, fast learning curve. And I've been covering the implementation of the Bitcoin law for a year now. And so you you said that the first time you heard it was Jack Mallers saying the word at the conference. So you were just tuning in because President B- Nayib Bukele was there. I, I didn't tune in. I saw it afterwards in social media, and 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 it, it was a surreal experience to hear from a foreigner, from this you know this uh, white, this gringo uh, young kid, telling us that we six millions of us would have basically uh, another. Uh, their whole monetary system of our country was going to change overnight, essentially. So that was a pretty, I would not recommend uh, that kind of shock doctrine or shock therapy. And you talked about President Bukele's antics, as you call them. So before Bitcoin became part of his identity, what kind of politician and president was Nayib Bukele? 
It was kind of a uh, Bolsonaro meets Trump, but with a uh, but really into technology kind of guy. That, that that's that, the, the best description I would give. He's he's a really like a populist, like a, a traditional Latin American caudillo populist. Is uh, really popular in El Salvador, and the, he he the presidency by a landslide uh, in 2019, and he won because he capitalized the sentiment against uh, what you know my, my, uh, people might call like the the drain the swamp kind of narrative. We're going to clean the politics. I'm. Um, I, I come from these same parties, but I'm not one of them. Uh, I'm of the people, although I am a millionaire. Uh, th- that kind of uh, populist kind of thing. So since the beginning of his presidency, we became aware and we, and we saw more and more of his authoritarian tendencies. I, I think people really saw him uh, in, in, in this uh, series of photos when he invaded the legislative assembly with the army and tried to try and pressure the congressmen and women to approve a loan for security, for his security program. Uh, so we started seeing more and more of this. But uh, Bitcoin law was approved in June 20, 2021. Uh, it was announced in June 2021, approved a couple of days later its announcement, and, and it came into effect in September. Before that, there was an essential element that it's that he won the, the supermajority in the Legislative Assembly. His party controlled the Legislative Assembly which allowed him to effectively control two of the three branches of the state. And then with that power, he illegally acquired the the control of the Supreme Court in El Salvador. He demoted the constitutional court. He demoted the attorney general. Uh, So essentially, there was no uh, democracy's uh, uh, counterbalances, you know, checks and balances system. Uh, that's what allowed for decisions as the Bitcoin law to pass as swiftly. And maybe people don't realize that. And I've actually talked about this with several foreigners because now there's a lot of interest from the crypto war in El Salvador. And they said, well, you need a strong man to do that. And I said, yeah, but that's not democratic. And that was not allowed by the Salvadoran law itself. So let's also um, just flesh out what the picture of life in El Salvador was pre-Bitcoin from a financial situation. What would you say was the financial reality for everyday Salvadorans pre-Bitcoin? Maybe I'm going ahead of myself here, but I don't think it's changed that much. Uh, 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 A fourth of the population is basically lives... is poor. It lives under with less than ten dollars a day, which is, I think, the measure that most uh, multilateral organizations use to measure poverty. Um, th- there's a lot of talking about banking the unbanked, and and, and there, there's a lot of that talking on and uh, from the narrative of the government of the president saying, "Oh yes, only thirty percent of Salvadorans have bank accounts, and and so seventy percent of the population doesn't have." Which is true. It's it it it's uh, it, it has been measured like that. But I I would say that there's a reason uh, behind that. It's not just the lack of access to banking institutions. Is the reason is the economy itself. People usually earn what they use day to day. They don't have savings accounts because they are essentially useless most of the time, and most of the people don't have anything to save. So if you gave every Salvadoran a savings account, you would give them um, an, uh, a tool, of course, but most of them use what they, they earn, what they need every day and don't have the resources to have, you know, like investments or or, or, st- or stashing away money to use in some other thing. Or it's, it's not really like that. The majority of the population and the transactions happen in cash because it's essentially a subsistence economy. Well, okay. So you alluded to kind of just how quickly everything happened in terms of El Salvador um, first proposing and then adopting this Bitcoin law. So describe a little bit what that experience was like. You talked about how it was a very learning, a steep learning curve for you. Just give us more detail on what that time in your life looked like. I think for all of us, this was a Saturday and and, and all of a sudden we're on Saturday scrolling through Twitter or social media, and we see this this dude Jack Mallers, who who was very strong in in that appearance. He he put on the the jersey of the Salvadoran national soccer team, 
and he cried on stage and he said he almost pissed his pants because of the invitation of President Bukele. And then President Bukele himself appears on the big screen and says, we are adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. And nobody knows what Bitcoin is. I mean, uh, I, I hadn't heard of it ever. This, this was among the, 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 the Bitcoin fever of 2020, 2021, right? But here in El Salvador, it, it, it was just a marginal thing. Maybe a couple of people knew about it. And, and, and all of a sudden, uh, we saw that. And, and as I told you, I thought this was going to be one of the, those things that Bukele does. And he's histronic and he looks for the rewards on social media in terms of likes and, and visibility. And I, I didn't think I had to put much attention to it. I just went on with my Saturday, whatever. Uh, but then three days later, we were at the Legislative Assembly. I remember distinctively because I was watching a soccer game of the Salvadoran national team. And then they, they say, well, we, we're going to pass Bitcoin law tonight. So my editor calls me and says, hey, can you get down there? And I was, okay, so I stopped watching the game. And, and it was funny I, I, why I mentioned the game, because uh, this is what I wrote. The uh, soccer matches uh, have a 90-minute duration with a 15-minute pause in between. The law, the Bitcoin law, uh, spent less time in the uh, financial committee of the legislative assembly than the the, the soccer match lasted. When they introduced they introduced the, the 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 bill, the soccer match was starting, and when they passed the bill and they finished all discussions, the law the match was still going. So that that's how that, that's how I describe it. It's it's how can you change the monetary policy for six billion people with so little discussion and and. Uh, what happens is that they control the supermajority, so they control how much th they want to discuss something or not want to discuss something. And the law was presented at like seven in uh, seven p.m. and and by a, a couple minutes past midnight was already approved and was going into full effect three months from then. So really, you you saw this confusion thing because the other thing that happened is that while the Congress was approving it there was a Twitter space going on. And the Twitter space was hosted by Mr. Nick Carter, who is, I, I think he's under, has got under some heat recently because he, I don't know, he, he, he's, he's not a Bitcoin maxi anymore or something like that. But he was hosting this Twitter space and he was allowing people uh, to ask questions to President Bukele and to one of his brothers so we didn't have, Salvadorans didn't have access, and this was a Twitter space in English for American investors or venture capitalists or, or, or whatever. And they were giving, that, giving out more information in that space than we were getting at the, at the assembly. So I actually, I was at the assembly. I was watching the discussion as they passed the Bitcoin law, and I tuned out of it, and I put my headphones and started listening to the space because it was more valuable in terms of the explanations of what the law would uh, uh, imply the example that i always go to is that a congressman in the floor was saying this will not be mandatory while president bukele was saying in the twitter space no it will be mandatory mcdonald's will have to take your bitcoin no, so what's your take on why that was why was he explaining this in this twitter space to primarily non-salvadoran audience but not necessarily doing too much to explain it to everyday Salvadorans. Because a lot of, uh, because a lot of the Bitcoin law is not meant for Salvadorans. And a lot of the Bitcoin allure and the Bitcoin PR stunt is not for Salvadorans, it's for foreigners. It's for attracting foreign investment. It's for attracting tourism. It's for different reasons. But because essentially President Bukele, he's not dumb at, at all. He knows about this. He knows that People don't stash away money to invest. That, that every day Salvadoran doesn't wake up every day and has a $5,000 fund and says, hmm, what am I going to invest today? This is not the reality of our country. So a huge part of it, it's not meant for Salvadorans. It's a law meant for other people. But it's paid for by Salvadoran taxpayers. And it seems like... He doesn't necessarily need to convince Salvadorans because he can just get this made as law, as you mentioned. They are the majority. He controls the power, so it, 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 he he doesn't really do need to do any convincing. He they can do whatever they want. I mean, 
imagine if the U.S. W was going to get rid of the Supreme Court justices, which I figure a lot of people want to do now, uh, on the left especially. But you could you do that in an hour? No, because it's 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 not a democracy. There there are procedures. We did that here in an hour. The first day that they took whole control of the supermajority, they got rid of the Supreme Court justices, they got rid of the Attorney General, and they replaced them all by loyalists in one night. So we're you, you, they, they they have been using this kind of power like that. The same thing with Bitcoin. They are, they changed the monetary policy of the country in one night, and it doesn't affect his polling. But what is interesting about Bitcoin is that even though Bukele still holds like 85-87% of approval in, in, in the majority of polls or in all polls, Bitcoin hasn't drawn from that popularity. So on the contrary, Bitcoin is really not popular. The recent polls saying that 71% uh, of Salvadorans don't see any benefit from the Bitcoin law to their own economies. Only 2 out of 10 support the decision to adopt Bitcoin. And, and it's the same people that says that they approve President Bukele. So they like him. They like what he's doing. They just didn't buy into his crypto fever. And what was the initial reaction at the time when they announced that they were going to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender? Was there excitement about it or interest? Or like you're saying now that people just feel like it hasn't really done much. But at that time, was that different? It was very negative because it, it pulled or it drew from a collective trauma that we all have, which is dollarization. The dollarization was also an imposed measure. We are on the, on the dollar since 2001. And it had been an old idea from the, the elite, the right-wing party that ruled El Salvador during 20 years. But they didn't have the votes. They, they, nobody controlled this supermajority. Nobody in El Salvador has had the supermajority in assembly since, I think, 1984. So they, they didn't have the votes. And what happened was, and this is a funny anecdote. I hope I don't get a little too much off, off topic, but... What happened is the congressman was caught during a, he, he, he had a DUI and he actually shot a policewoman while under the influence of alcohol. But the, he, he had a special protection. He couldn't be arrested as a normal citizen. So they took the case uh, to a political impeachment case to remove his protection. And then the right wing party negotiated with the, his, his party. and He said, OK, we're not going to remove his protection for this case but you're going to give us the vote for the dollarization. So that's how it happened. And dollarization, I think, was approved in November 2000 and came into effect into January 2001. So it was a really swift move. Uh, so people uh, were really... Uh, th th there's a difference between dollar and Bitcoin, of course. People were used to dollar. There's 3 million Salvadorans in the U.S. We are used to taking remittances. People there's go back and forth all the time. But there was a collective trauma because our national currency changed basically overnight. And so, so people said, this will be like dollarization. They will take away our dollars and we will only have this Bitcoin. And this Bitcoin, it's not even a coin. It's, it's, it, you don't have bills of Bitcoin. That, I think, was what triggered the initial reaction. And then the other thing, it was volatility. People might not have understood Bitcoin. People might not understand what Bitcoin is now. But they immediately knew this is a currency or this is an asset that can really change lanes, can, can, can change its price, can drop its price or increase its price in the matter of hours. So I might have the equivalent of $3 to have lunch by 8 in the morning, but by the time it's lunch, maybe I won't be able to buy my lunch. So people were really not attracted to that part. And then so, so there was a lot of rejection, actually. Bitcoin was a huge part of the largest protest that Bukele has had in, against him, which occurred on September 15, 2021, on, on the Independence Day. It's the largest protest so far in his government. And it was spurred by the Bitcoin adoption and uh, other factors. But the rejection of Bitcoin played a role in that. Oh, wow. That's that's interesting. Um, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that in a moment, but I did want to ask you so, you know, as you said, you had never heard of Bitcoin until a few days before this was adopted. So initially, you know, kind of let's separate it from your perceptions of what President Bukele was doing and 
you know, whether that was going to be positive or negative for El Salvador. But did you have any opinion or perception of Bitcoin itself? I was really coming out of ignorance. I mean, I, I, I didn't understand. I remember um, a particular colleague, Romain Grassier, who is a French-American colleague, and he understood some of Bitcoin because, I don't know, he he's a nerd or something. And, and he started to explaining us uh, to me and my editor what this was, what this coin was. So so we really struggled to understand. There was not a, a, an education effort and, and the, our public officials didn't really understand what was going on. They, they, uh, they passed the law, but I don't think the majority of them or, or a lot of them knew what they were talking about. I, I mean, th th there was people talking, congressmen talking about how Bitcoin is good for the environment when a lot of critics said it's not because of, of the energy you use in mining or, you know, really rhetorical, really saying nothing of the sort. Um, so I didn't really have an opinion. I, I just didn't really understand what it was. And because of that, I didn't understand why the president was uh, intending to use it. And the first people we started to hear from didn't really uh, do much to to heal or to, or to alleviate our concerns. I mean, the first people that we have here leading a Bitcoin delegation was Brock Pierce, who is eccentric, who is a former child star, and he led a Bitcoin delegation. And we were like, hmm, this does not seem... Like, like we did not see, you know, suits, technicians, economists, uh, people. It, it's, it's a really uh, eclectic crowd. So it, it, we went from ignorance to skepticism to, to outrage to, okay, let's really sit down and, and, and talk to people who cannot explain to us what this is and what other people in other parts of the world use it for. But that certainly took a while. And you talked about how you feel that... Um, part of the motivation on Bukele's side was that he wanted to attract investment in tourism. Would you say that this Bitcoin law has succeeded in those goals? No, no, absolutely. There, there are no hard data that we can rely on to say, hey, this is what has happened. The government talks about uh, uh, an increase in tourism, in uh, a 3% increase in tourism, but there's no way to... to Connect, they're directly connected to the Bitcoin law because other things happen in the world that affect tourism, like you know the COVID nineteen pandemic, the, the the lifting the the the, the travel restrictions, the, the economic recovery from the the, the effects of the pandemic. Uh, so there's no way to really correlate it just to the the, the, the Bitcoin factor itself. It has a, a, drawn a lot of attention, but there's no hard data to draw from. And then from the economic perspective. The government talks about, I remember clearly because there, were, there, there were a, a series of Bitcoin conferences in November last year in, in San Salvador. So uh, one of the presentations was from Atina Bitcoin. This is a company of ATMs that helped in the implementation in El Salvador. So they, they argued uh, that El Salvador had recovered 10% on its economy thanks to the Bitcoin law, which is essentially not true. It has recovered... In, in 2021, there was a 10% increase because in 2020, because of the pandemic, was a decrease of nine points. So in reality, you're talking about a two-point growth in the economy, which is pretty normal for Salvadoran standards. And it, again, cannot be directly correlated to Bitcoin. I was at an event commemorating the first year of the, of the law last month uh, with a series of crypto companies, you know, the crypto companies that have installed in Salvador. And they talked about having generated 113 jobs in El Salvador, which is not this, this, this it, 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 you know, it's okay, but is it uh, worth the cost of a public policy that has costed Salvadorans at least $200 million? So it's, uh, do the math how much each job of those has costed us. So in the, in those two terms, I don't think uh, the returns of investments are clear to this day. Yeah. And I wanted you to elaborate on another point that you raised in a New York Times op-ed that you published recently, where you also mentioned that the timing of some of these announcements occurred around the same time as some other scandals involving his administration were occurring. So 
Talk a little bit about what happened there. Day before the Bitcoin law was announced, it was announced on a Saturday. The Friday before, President Bukele had dropped out of an agreement with the OA OAS, the Organization of American States. He had set up a, an anti-corruption committee, similar to what had happened in Guatemala with the CICIC, for those familiar with it. So this committee had started doing revelations and, 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 and uncovering corruption scandals, mostly related to pandemic buys, which were scandalous here. There was a lot of corruption. At one point, the attorney general's office, the former attorney general's office, said that two-thirds of, of all of the pandemic contracts were under investigation. So this was on, on Friday. He drops out of the, of the committee. He, and, and, and he says, okay, we are going to, 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 we are going to, um, drop, simply drop out of it, which was, had been a, a campaign, a promise from, from Bukele. So the next day he announced Bitcoin and all of the attention, all of the attention that had been talking about, uh, his dismissal of the court, his dismissal of the attorney general, his dropping out of an anti, uh, anti corruption movement. It's gone. It's, you're talking about Bitcoin. You're talking about how innovative this country is and how bold this experiment is and how audacious Bukele is as a leader. And this has continued to happen. We, uh, we published uh, a, a, a couple of months ago, we published an investigation with audios of a, a Bukele cabinet official describing his dealings with the gang members and, 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 and conversations with gang members, with MS-13 gang members, and describing how he had uh, essentially took took out a leader that's asked in extradition by the U.S. government and took him to Guatemala. So Bukele didn't, and still hasn't, still hasn't commented on that investigation. Still hasn't said anything. Nobody from his administration did. And he took to tweeting about Bitcoin because there was a committee of central bankers and economists in El Salvador at that time. So Bitcoin has been used as a PR stunt Bitcoin has been used as a distracting movement from Bukele from other corruption and scandals. And, all, and he talks about Bitcoin when he don't send one to talk about other things. And th that's what I, I, I say. So, and I know for a crypto audience and I know for a, a, a from the crypto point of view, this is such a, a historic moment in the game theory. If Bitcoin is going to be the currency of the future, we were at the first. And, and yeah, but you cannot if you only go to that part of the story and ignore what is happening, not in the future, but in the present in El Salvador, then, then you're uh, doing a disservice to the Salvadoran population. And you're basically spreading propaganda from a government, which is another and one of my main points when I wrote that New York Times article. Aren't Bitcoiners supposed to distrust the government? Aren't Bitcoiners supposed to get to, to, to want to separate money from the state? So, why is it that they are so enthusiastic about a government, an authoritarian government uh, in a third world country that adopts it? I, I mean, it, it, it should be the other way around, or at least it should be taken with a pinch of salt, you know? Yeah, I actually wanted to also call out another contradiction, which actually a number of people in the Bitcoin community also mention, such as Alex Gladstein of the Human Rights Foundation or Jerry Brito of Corn Center. There is a bit of a contradiction to Bukele championing the adoption of Bitcoin by El Salvador, given that, you know, as you mentioned, he has these authoritarian tendencies, and yet Bitcoin is a type of money that's not controlled by the state. And so, in that regard, you could almost say that it would weaken his power for El Salvador to adopt it. So, I wondered if you you know, had a theory about that or another contradiction, which I've also seen called out, which is that like Bitcoin is often seen as this money, uh, you know, as a path for freedom, uh, you know, out of control of the state. And yet in this particular law, as you mentioned, it is mandatory that businesses accept it. There's no choice. So what do you think explains these contradictions? I think if you have a normal process of approving a law, you would have been able to see these contradictions, you know, to, to, to hear about economists, to hear about Bitcoin experts. There's a lot of talk about who goes through the law. Uh, and, and, and Jack Mueller said he had a role. And other people said they, they, they also had a role. But 
we would have these are discussions that should have happened before the law approved. And that, that's the, the and that's the thing. I, and I didn't understand what was all the rush about, except that you needed to create news and headlines quickly because you wanted to change the conversation and want to take control of the conversation. But th- those are all contradictions. I think I've, I've heard Gladstein and, and I respect tremendously his, his job. And I have I've heard and I've read about uh, the, the Bitcoin being uh, some sort of a Trojan horse uh, apparatus uh, to authoritarian states. And that might be the yeah, case. But, but what confuses me is that Bukele is like feeding the Trojan horse to himself. Like, you know what I mean? He's sending it to himself. So that's the part that I'm a little bit like, wait. Yeah, be- because I think the, 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 the element that's missing in the Trojan Horse theory is that Bitcoin is a grassroots movement. It's, it's, it's never imposed from the top down. It grows in the, as a grassroots, as a horizontal movement. So that's what I don't see. I, I don't see it working. And I think that in order for it to work as a Trojan Horse to avoid the, 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 the regulation, there's an, uh, a tremendous need of education, that tremendous need of, of of understanding that, for instance, if you use the government-controlled wallet, the Chivo wallet, for me, it's essentially a surveillance apparatus because the gov- you're actually giving access to the government to all of the transactions, which is antithetical to Bitcoin in so many uh, different ways. So you need uh, education to understand what a self-custody is, you know, a, a, a self-custodial wallet, not your keys, not your coin, that kind of thing. And that's a level of understanding that most Salvadorans don't yet have because there has not been an education effort from the state. It has just been thrown onto them like a sort of app, like 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 Chivo was uh, essentially replacing bank apps for the majority of Salvadorans. But uh, it, it presents the, the, those contradictions. I, I believe that uh, it's not the case. And you know, I get a lot of heat because I am, I'm, I'm a crypto skeptical. I, 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 I own Bitcoin. I have used it. I have reported it and I have paid for beers and things in Bitcoin, but I don't see it as a solution to Salvadoran immediate needs. I'm not talking about it and I don't want to go in. I, I don't know enough about the realities of other people of, you know, like what they do with it in Nigeria or Lebanon or, you know, Belarus, I had an interesting conversation with about this in the Oslo Freedom Forum a couple of months ago in Norway. Uh, so the thing is, I'm talking about El Salvador and, 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 and the matter of the fact is that in here, it has not solved any problems and it has not done anything more than create headlines, positive headlines for the president in international media. All right. So in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit more about the impact of the law uh, in the last year. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Oasis aims to offer improved privacy and scalability compared to other existing blockchains. They feature 99% lower gas fees versus Ethereum, high throughput, instant finality, and defense against MEV, making it ideal for decentralized applications. Oasis invites prominent Web3 developers to apply for its grants program and receive full ecosystem support, along with up to $50,000 in grant funding to create dApps in DeFi, GameFi, or NFTs. Join the community of innovative developers today and build the future of Web3 with Oasis Network. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Is your Web3 experience hindered by inadequate crypto wallets and browser extensions? Ava Labs has created Core, a free, non-custodial browser extension engineered for Avalanche users to have a more seamless and secure Web3 experience. The best-in-class Avalanche Bridge now offers native support for the Bitcoin network. Put your Bitcoin to work in the robust DeFi ecosystem by bridging BTC to Avalanche today. With Core, you can also easily swap assets, display your NFTs in style, store your assets in a Ledger-enabled wallet, and put real dollars into your crypto wallet in just a few clicks. Core is everything you need for a simple, secure, and convenient Web3 experience. 
Download the free Core browser extension from Google Chrome's App Store today. Back to my conversation with Nelson. So you did mention that shortly after the adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender, that the largest uh, protests that Bukele experienced were about the adoption of Bitcoin. So why do you think that that was the thing that motivated the largest protests so far? I think in that moment, it was uh, the, the, the drop that overflowed the cup. You know, it, 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 it was the culmination of things. It was the Bitcoin law resumed so many of the things that the Salvadoran opposition doesn't like about Bukele. His authoritarian tendencies, his unconsulted public policies, the way that he deals with the, the, the government's uh, finance, the, the complicated economical situation. The disregard for Salvadorans the, and the, his love for showboatness and, 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 and grandeur and, and platform. So, so there were a lot of things in the mix, but this was, uh, disliking Bitcoin was something that people could, could rally behind. That everybody had different stances. Uh, but in this Bitcoin thing, we, the, the, the thing was, we don't really like it. We don't want it. And we think it's going to be uh, something that's going to grab our money. So it, I think it, it, it was in that moment a bonding factor for the opposition because uh, opposition is, is really, they don't really know what to do. And it's really hard to know what to do. And, and, and you know, you have people in the right in the opposition. You have people in the left. You have people kind of scattered all over the place. So Bitcoin proved a union point. Like, the dislikeness of Bitcoin proved a union, a union point. I, I, I don't think it's, so much like that anymore. But in that moment, it was something that reunited all the characteristics that uh, the opposition didn't like. So as we mentioned, there hasn't been a lot of uptake, but there was a survey in February by the National Bureau of Economic Research that said about 10% of Chivo users did continue making Bitcoin transactions after spending the initial $30 stipend. Do you have any sense of what people are using it for or who's using it? It's, it's, it's very hard to say, Laura, because th there's not widespread use. So my, my people do a transaction here and there and, and, and whether those transactions continue to happen until this year. I don't know. I think it, I think the same service said that uh, the, the Chivo wallet app essentially hadn't had any downloads, uh, this year. So it, it's really hard to say. And, and, and the uses that the government promoted it for also hadn't, haven't happened. I mean, by every measure that the government said this would be a hit, it hasn't. Uh, they said that they it would become, it would make remittances cheaper. Remittances are like 20% of Salvadoran GDP because of our large diaspora, hugely based in the United States. Uh, so the way people collect their, their uh, remittances is through banks or through services like Western Union and this, this sort of thing. So, with Bitcoin, with Chivo, if you have a Chivo wallet in the United States and a Chivo wallet here, you don't pay fees or the same goes for other apps like Strike or other kind of things. But what the central bank is telling us, the, the, the statistics, is that uh, less than 2% of remittances are going through crypto wallets. So despite the promise and the, the, you know, the guarantee of savings, people are not really using it. And I think a lot of it has to do with how the Chivo was rolled out. There were a lot of people who lost money because of, of transactions that didn't, that, that weren't recorded, that uh, issues with the uh, functionality between Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin wallet transactions from Chivo to other ecosystem or to other systems. Um, and people, imagine if people initially reject this out of ignorance because they didn't know how, how they work. And the first experience that they have is as disastrous as the first weeks of Chivo were. Are you really going to rely on such a system or such a device to use uh, or, or, or to, to, yeah, to, to use your money or to withdraw your money from? If you lose $50, it might not be a lot for, you know, a venture capitalist or, or, or an investor, but for people who take the remittances and are such an important part of their life and their sustenance, yeah, you're not going to risk it. Yeah, I did also see that the Central Bank of El Salvador said that only 1.5% of remittances went through digital wallets, which was obviously a really low figure. 
And it's surprising though, because I do know that places like Western Union and stuff, they they take quite a large percentage. So I I personally would have thought that there might be higher uptake. Did you have a sense of whether even just that initial $30 distribution was something that had any kind of impact on either the perception of Bitcoin or just positivity toward the new law? Nah, uh, the, 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 I, I think people essentially saw them as a subsidy, uh, as another government handout. The government hand, uh, give uh, $300 checks during the pandemic, and then they also uh, have gift baskets. Uh, it's not their appropriate word, but they, they, they were handing out groceries to people in need, and they were actually uh, delivering the door-to-door. So people essentially took the $30 subsidy not as a way uh, of, as the government intended to incentivize the use of Bitcoin, but as a subsidy. And so people would take the $30 and go to the grocery store or, you know, buy a meal, a, a, a good meal of fried chicken for the whole family. Or there were even people who were saying outside of the Chivo uh, ATMs, they were saying like, uh, I can give you the cash if you transfer me your balance, I, I, I will only charge you for a for an, uh, an amount so the, a, 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 a relatively small secondary economy there but people weren't interested in in hodling you know or, or or in keeping their bitcoin or even transacting in it they were just interested in, in cashing out and what about this bitcoin city which is supposed to become some city for crypto enthusiasts that would be powered by geothermal <laughs> plants at a nearby volcano has any construction begin there or begun there or (laughs) has any of that come to pass or do you have a sense of how serious that effort is? Uh, It's as serious as the, the Bitcoin city in Senegal that, 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 that they call Acon city, you know, and and, and you, we should ask the people about in Senegal, how that is going. Now, I I think that part, especially the Bitcoin city part is it's, it's the, the, the most, spectacular of the PR stunt that the Bukele government has uh, done with Bitcoin. I mean, uh, the, 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 the idea, El Salvador, for, first of all, El Salvador is not a self-sustainable uh, country in terms of energy. We uh, are connected to the Central American grid. We, we import energy. El Salvador country doesn't produce enough energy for itself, let alone powering a uh, whole Wakanda in the eastern part of El Salvador. Second of all, energy is not cheap in El Salvador. It's not cheap. Uh, and what Bitcoin miners look for is essentially cheap energy. And they, they might have that in places like Texas or Arkansas or places that which have a, a good electric grid and not a lot of demand because unpopulated parts of the country, etc. We don't have cheap electricity because a part of the electricity price is pegged to product that's derivative of oil. So the, it's essentially the prices of oil that drive up the prices of energy in Salvador because a part of the production relies on it. So we don't have cheap energy. So in the case that we would have volcano that was uh, enough to produce energy, I think the first priority should be to make the country still sustainable. But this doesn't happen overnight. This is why I tell you that this appears done because President Bukele was in that Twitter space saying that, that, that uh, explained the Bitcoin law when it was being approved. And the next day he said, we just discovered these new wells of geothermal energy and we're just uh, starting to design a whole mining hub around it. It's not true. It's, it, 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 we haven't seen plans for it. We haven't seen technology for it. Studies, technical, nothing, no, no, not a geothermal energy saying, yes, this is what we're doing. And most of all, this cannot happen overnight. Anyone who knows anything about geothermal energy will tell you that a plant will not be constructed like that and will be operating by the end of the month. It's It just doesn't happen like that. Uh, so that's why you should take it with a pinch of salt. And, we, and, and you should take President Bukel for what he is, a politician and a savvy marketer. He he will sell you the moon. Like, I think he will be he will be able to sell, you know, ice to, to, to people in the Antarctica, but what part of that is true and, and, and becoming true? So Bitcoin City, on top of everything I just said, is relying on it, the budget for it will come from these Bitcoin bonds 
that will be sold and, and, and for several months now have been in over demand, according to their promoters, to people like, you know, Samson Mao or Max Kaiser, they say that there's a huge demand. So why doesn't the government put them to sell? Uh, n- n- now, now that they, they say that the market con- conditions are not ripe, I, I, I suppose they, they, they are right about that. But we'll talk about the Bitcoin bond in a little moment. But I actually also just wanted to ask one additional thing. Bitcoin Beach is an area that has put a lot of energy into adopting Bitcoin. What's your sense of how much Bitcoin is a part of everyday transactions there? And in general, what do you feel the significance of Bitcoin Beach has been? It's a really good PR stunt and it's a really good PR effort. But I would invite anyone who comes to Bitcoin Beach and is astonished by the fact that you can pay for a coconut uh, in Bitcoin across the street. Uh, I, just go across the street. I don't, I'm, I don't go to a far out part of the country. No, just cross the street from the hotel that you're staying in Bitcoin Beach and try to pay there in Bitcoin. And th- then, then let's see how this is a, a affecting widespread adoption. Yeah, I mean, th- there are uh, a lot of places that will take your Bitcoin there, but it, it don't lose the, the fact that this is a tourist place. The crypto tourism is for the, 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 this whole idea that was floating around a lot of years in the crypto scene that is, hey, what will happen when we are able to buy goods and services with Bitcoin? Well, you can do that now in El Salvador in certain parts, but it's part of the gimmick, I would say. I, I, I don't. They, they, they like to talk about a circular economy, but what happened in El Sante was an anonymous donation that started going around and people understood as subsidies. And yeah, so maybe you have some crypto enthusiasts there and, and you have a, an education effort there, but, it, but essentially you're... Uh, in Bitcoin Beach, you're more catering to the tourism than on bank than banking the unbanked. It's it's uh, you, for 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 in order to do that, you would need to go to other parts of the country. And I think there are other more interesting efforts in that sense in El Salvador. I, I'm thinking about financial cooperative in a co- in a town called Sonsacate, who actually take services to people in far out places in the country. But in terms of Bitcoin Beach, I think they have been a really good part, a really huge part of the communications effort for the government. And, they, and, and I think they are really rather comfortable in that position. And I mean, good for them. I, I, I don't say it as a bad thing, but in terms of, of spurring widespread adoption or, 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 or making uh, education to other Salvadorans uh, so this grows and grows, I don't see it happening, not right now. So now let's talk more about kind of the country's financial situation. There has been this situation with the IMF where the IMF has urged the Salvadoran government to backtrack on the adoption of Bitcoin, saying that it posed a risk to financial stability. We've had ratings agencies that have cut their ratings on El Salvador due to its precarious finances. And as you mentioned, Bukele had this plan to issue the world's First government bond backed by Bitcoin. It was supposed to be a $1 billion bond. So describe like a little bit about what that meant and then why, you know, you think it's been postponed. I think the Bitcoin bond was the Bukele government's strategy to monetize its popularity among the Bitcoin community. They tried to appeal that they did this huge over the top beach party. Uh, back in November, uh, with Bukele appearing out of a, like in a kind of metaverse character with an avatar coming down of a UFO with uh, ACDC playing hard on the back, so so th- that that that's his you know his gimmick. His uh, he, he tries to sell himself as this rock star, rock star superstars, who, or who who happens to be a head of state. But the reality of the country is that the financial needs are bigger than Bitcoin, are precede Bitcoin. I, I don't agree with people that say that Bitcoin has caused the country to go into brink of default. That's just not true. I just think Bitcoin hasn't helped as much as they said it would. So the Bitcoin bond experiment uh, was supposed to go online. It was announced in November. It was supposed to go online in February. I talked to Paolo Arduino, who is the chief technology officer of, of Tether. And, you know, Tether is, is a, such a huge part of the crypto industry, but it's also uh, it, it's part of a web of companies that include Bit- Bitfinex. 
So they were pretty much ready to go. They set up an office here in, in San Salvador and, and, and just things have been stalling and stalling. And I, what I'm hearing about crypto actors and, and, and other actors in the economical scene is that the interest has cooled down, that there's, there's just no, not so much interest. It, it, it was really, uh, from the financial point of view, uh, really weird product. If you bought traditional bonds in El Salvador at the price that we are now, you would get a lot of more interest or a, 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 a lot of more benefits than buying that. And also, it was appealing to Bitcoiners. And why would you buy a bond uh, from the just from the financial point of view? If you can just buy Bitcoin, if the if the bet is that the price is going to the moon to a hundred thousand to a million. Why you don't just buy Bitcoin instead of a bond, except that you want to be, you know, charitable and, and help a government and, and be a part of it and, and have like a souvenir. But just from the strict numbers point of view, it doesn't make sense. But the, the, the reality of the country is that it, it has very precarious financial situations. And I thought because IMF is not just cold shouldering the Bitcoin initiative, IMF also uh, likes other things. They, they, they want transparency mechanisms and they want to uh, put pressure on the democratic side of, of, of the president. And everybody knows that IMF has a lot to do with the U.S. Department of Treasury. So it, it, there, there's a political uh, interest in there. And I think Bukele saw the Bitcoin bonds as a possibility and they, saw, they, 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 they said it pretty clearly as a possibility to finance the country without the IMF. Um, I mean, w when we argue about these things, people say, oh, why do you defend the IMF? Why do you love it? We don't love the IMF. We know who they are. We've read the history and we know what kind of things they do to countries. I just don't know if the alternative of changing from the IMF to private loaners with, uh, with I don't know what conditions and, and with le much less clarity, we know what to expect from the IMF. It's not good, but we know what to expect. We don't know what to expect if for loaners would be, you know, private investors who have bought this, these bonds. But I also think that the, the people who are potentially being the targets of this product saw it for what it was. And that's why the interest cooled off. And I, um, you know, for, in order for you to go to the market and, and, and sell bonds, you need to be oversubscribed. You need to, if you're going to issue a billion, you have to have at least 1.5 billion in offers. I don't know if that the, 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 the calculation of the government that they wouldn't have that or if they would have put a billion for sale and they would have only say like 40% of it, that would have been perceived as the markets as more, more damaging than beneficial. So I think this all kind of plays out on why this has been, has been stalled. Uh, but the reality is that it, it hasn't happened and, and there's nothing being constructed in the place where Bitcoin City is going to be. As far as I understand, I think El Salvador also now has an $800 million bond due in January. So given that the the Bitcoin bond hasn't happened, what do you think will happen at that point? I think the government will find a way to deal with the, the January bond. But the, the thing is, uh, a lot of analysts in the market says that when a country comes to say, well, we're going to be able to make it to January, it's not a, a thing of if it will default, but when it will. I, I mean, you, you can pass the hurdle in January, but when will that hurdle become again? And, and El Salvador, it's not about, it's not just about January. Come September, it, it starts an 18 month period where there are several uh, loans that are being mature and bonds that need to be paid uh, in a situation that is not ideal for El Salvador and that has been accumulated. By years old debt, yes, but also supported by the, the, the spend and the, the incontrollable spend of the Bukele administration. So they need to find a way to deal with that. Yeah, the, the government says there's zero possibility that the country will default. Other people, Bloomberg says uh, that after Sri Lanka, El Salvador is the number one candidate to default next. And, and, and this is a, a trend that we're seeing worldwide. So Nobody knows what will happen in the future. I don't think the country it will probably not default in January because of some signals that we're seeing. But the, the, the financial situation does not. I mean, life goes on after that maturity, that, that, that bond matures in January. And the, the, the whole situation, the financial situation is not going to be sustainable. It doesn't look that it's sustainable at the long term. And at the rate that the Bukele government spends. So I, I think that's 
basically that's his Achilles heel that the, of, of his administration. He's politically invulnerable, doesn't seem to, to lose any steam on the polls. His popularity doesn't decrease, but the economic situation is, is going to be where, uh, where things crunch for him and the population, I think. So another issue is that El Salvador reportedly spent about $100 million on Bitcoin to buy a total of, it's slightly less than 2,400 Bitcoins. Now the value of those Bitcoins is about $47 million, so it's a loss of more than $50 million. And as we've been talking about, you know, El Salvador is deep in debt. Its own dollar bonds are trading at $0.35 cents on the dollar. So what impact do you think that the loss in the value of the Bitcoins will have on this whole financial situation? The first thing I would say with that, Laura, is that we aren't really sure if we have spent the $100 million in, in, in Bitcoin. I mean, what we have from President Bukele are tweets uh, that says we bought Bitcoin, but we never have seen a receipt. We don't have the, the address of the wallet. We don't know if he has sold Bitcoin. He, he, remember, he saw he, he's, he, he actually built a, a pet hospital and he said that he had done it with the earnings of Bitcoin. And maybe I'm just naive and I don't know how well this works, but how can you make profits of Bitcoin if you're not selling the coins? Uh, so uh, I, I don't know. He's, he, he's explained that it was some sort of accounting trick. But then the finance ministry said, no, for building the hospital, we did sell some coins. So you have bought this amount of coins, like uh, close to 2,400. How many of those did you sell to build the hospital? Have you sold anymore? I mean, this is all a, a huge nebulous thing, which again is anti the principles of Bitcoin of transparency and open sourcing. And, and I mean, we should be able to know what the government is spending on. We should be able to, to see what the government is spending our money on because people like to say Bukele has bought. No, Bukele has not bought. It's not his money. It's all, all our money. It's all our tax base or, or loans that we will eventually have to pay as a country. So that, that's the first thing I would argue. But in the event, I think in the unlikely event, Bukele has bought all the Bitcoin that he has announced to have bought. The other thing is a, a, a matter of priorities. Is a country where a fourth of the population is poor, is it morally correct to buy Bitcoin, which is going to be an investment in the future, but it's taking away resources from projects that are needed now, not in the future? I don't know. Maybe this is why I always argue maybe Finland should buy Bitcoin and, and experiment with that. Maybe, you know, Sweden or uh, Switzerland, they, they, they should experiment with that. But a country like El Salvador, where a couple of weeks ago we had floodings in the emergency area of the largest public hospital in the country, or where, I don't know, uh, hundreds of people uh, immigrate to the United States every day because they don't have economical opportunities here, or... There are hundreds of students, thousands of students that don't, don't get admitted because there are not enough positions in the, in the uh, university, in the national university every year, or where teachers are in these and these conditions. Is a country with those conditions supposed to be spending on a speculative asset that might or might not come uh, reap benefits in the future? I think that's a question worth asking. So in addition to the values of the Bitcoins that El Salvador owns losing their value, obviously, um, now that Bitcoin is legal tender in El Salvador, the loss in the value might even affect how Salvadorans perceive Bitcoin, or maybe it's just something that really isn't on their ra radar, even though it has technically been adopted as legal tender. So do you feel that seeing the loss in uh, the value of Bitcoin has had any material effect on how Salvadorans perceive Bitcoin? I was in a small town, maybe 20, 30 kilometers away from San Salvador a couple of weeks ago. And I was talking to a, a farmer who was, he, he has a, a couple of, a, a piece of land where he cultivates like bell peppers and tomatoes and things like that. So as I asked him, he, he, he was an em immigrant. He was, uh, he spent from 1989 to 95 in LA. His kids are now in California. And I said, hey, uh, what do you think about Bitcoin? And he said, mm, I, I don't really like it. I, I, I'd rather have dollars. And I think I made a good decision now that Bitcoin is really low. And I was really surprised. It was a 76-year-old man who said, uh, kind of saying I dodged a bullet there because I didn't get into it. it, it it's there, but 
when I usually go around the country because I'm so deep into this crypto coverage, I I I, I ask around, kind of tongue in cheek, saying, "Hey, do you take Bitcoin?" Uh, in waiting out what people are going to say, and some of them are nice and say, "Hey, no, thank you." Or in some of their threads, oh, oh yeah, we haven't gotten around to accepting it yet. But people really, it, it, it it's legal tender and it's mandatory according to a law, but the, the, it, it was never enforced like that. And, and, and that's an important part. And I think an important part of why it's not enforced like that, because the government should be able to, could do it. And, and, and they have proven they have this authoritarian pain that could make us all accept it. But they saw that this is unpopular and Bukele is really concerned about his polls. And he said, if I try to impose, do you imagine that that dystopia of policemen enforcing people to accept Bitcoin because this will liberate you? This, this didn't really happen. Bukele himself found a lot of opposition from the crypto community uh, on the part of the being ma mandatory uh, and imposed impose currency. So they didn't really enforce it. And people nowadays kind of just brush it off. I mean, yeah, it's legal turn, tender, it's mandatory, but almost nobody does transactions in it. So, uh, yeah, whatever. But that's kind of the basic attitude. So in general, what would you like the Bitcoin community to know about the difference between the perception of Bitcoin's impact in El Salvador and the reality? If, if, if it does something for the Bitcoin community is that it enforces the the fact that this should come from the people. The, 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 isn't this a movement that comes from activists and people concerned about a dossier state and privacy and, and people who are being prosecuted by the states and trying to separate and gaining more freedom from the government? So what happens when a government is the enthusiast? Well, El Salvador is the only example, I think. I don't know how things are going in Central Africa. I mean, imagine... That, that's a whole different reality. But in here, it doesn't really work when it is imposed. Maybe try and do efforts of people adopting it voluntarily, willingly, and not because we have to. And the other thing is that uh, there's a whole construct of Bitcoin being this tool for financial freedom in the world. It might be the case in other places. But what I always say is financial freedom does nothing for Salvadorans if we don't have political freedom, freedom of expression. Uh, we are now the country with the most, uh, with the highest per capita incarceration rate because the government has arrested like 50, uh, yeah, close to 50,000 people in the last three months. Is the freedom that Bitcoin promises only financial, only monetary? Are, are we going to be put against a corner with all of our uh, other liberties taken away? But we will have Bitcoin, so that's good and we should be thankful for it. That, that's the thing. Bitcoin cannot fix El Salvador because the problems are bigger than this. And I really would encourage the Bitcoiner and the crypto community to be more skeptic about the government. And as you like to say, don't trust what the government is saying, but verify. And so, as we said at the beginning, when you started covering all this, you didn't really know anything about Bitcoin and you've had to go through this big learning curve. So I know, obviously, so much of your coverage has been about El Salvador and its relationship to Bitcoin. But I'm sure along the way, you've just learned about Bitcoin itself. And I was wondering if we can just separate out everything you know that we've been talking about, El Salvador and what's been happening with Bitcoin. If you were to just look at Bitcoin, what is your opinion of it now? I think it's an interesting technology. I think especially... If you would, you, if you were to do it with transparency and, and you have a clear goal and you, and you have a, a, a controlled environment, I, I mean, I mean, like a controlled way of doing it, not, not rushing it into it or not spending like a madman who caught the crypto fever. I think it has interesting possibilities. Is the possibility of sending remittances with lower fees than the traditional service interesting and important for Salvadorans? Yes, it is. Should we invest or, 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 or explore the blockchain technology for storing digital information and for digitizing the, 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 the public records? I think, yes, we could. It's interesting. I, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to deny. Again, I don't want to deny how people in other latitudes use it. But the whole experience of how it has happened in El Salvador, it's a hard trauma to recover from. And not only just for me, but for all Salvadorans. 
I've talked to people who are enthusiastic, like good people who are really into this and enthusiastic about Bitcoin. And, and they go out into the countryside and, and try to educate people to use Bitcoin. And they say that before the Bitcoin law, the main problem was that people heard Bitcoins and, and thought about a scam. And nowadays they say that the, 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 after the Bitcoin law, the, the problem that they encounter is that they talk about Bitcoin. They, they, they think Bitcoin is chivo. They think Bitcoin is going to drain their money because of what their prior experience with chivo has been. So I think there's also a really interesting lesson of how governments can help Bitcoin maybe stay out of the way if you don't know how to do it properly. I think it's early stages. Maybe, I don't know. I have a, a couple of Bitcoin wallets and I have, I, I still have like the equivalent of $10. If someday in the future I'm able to buy a Tesla with it, I'm going to be very grateful of Bitcoin, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. All right. Well, this has been an extremely illuminating conversation. I really appreciate you coming in the show. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, I'm on Twitter. My uh, handle name is like my, uh, my last name, Raudas, and I'm verified. So I, you shouldn't be able to use me. And I spent too much time in Twitter. So I would love to connect with, 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 uh, your audience and your followers. Uh, please, uh, if you are interested in El Salvador, we have a newsletter in English that's called El Faro English. And when, and, and, and you can learn more about all of the complexities of this. A tiny but interesting nation in Central America. Uh, and we also cover uh, other countries of Central America. And yeah, uh, I'd be more than willing to continue this conversation. And thank you so much for having me on your show, Laura. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on Unchained. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about how Bitcoin is impacting El Salvador, check out the show notes for this episode. Don't miss our daily roundup of the biggest news in crypto on the Unchained newsletter. Visit unchainedpodcast.com to subscribe. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Matt Pilchard, Juan Aranovich, Pam Majumjar, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.